Okay, we're answering a question today. I like questions, and I like one that stretches your brain a little. So, ready? Ready to stretch it? <laughs> oh, that hurts. Here we go. I'm going to read you the question. It's, it's from a verse in Jeremiah chapter 7, so you can turn there. We'll have to look there. Jeremiah chapter 7. I'm really struggling with God's instruction not to pray for these people. I know they've continued to sin and they've come expecting God's favor, but it seems it's so opposite of the character of God that he wouldn't want even Jeremiah to pray for them. Should we ever stop praying? This verse has halted my study and consumed my thoughts. Can't seem to get past it. Okay, so we're going to think our way past it. Uh, there's a couple of things to note. First of all, we've got to put it in context. Uh, Jeremiah had another uh, guy, Ezekiel, and those two prophets were prophets right at the end before Jerusalem fell. And God sent Ezekiel to Babylon to prophesy there, but he kept Jeremiah at home. He wants you to keep him there, and he's going to be a prophet to the people just before Nebuchadnezzar comes and tears that place to pieces. Nebuchadnezzar made four trips to Jerusalem. First trip, he took a bunch of smart people and took them back. That was the way he ran his government, unlike ours, at any resemblance to ours. Uh, they wanted the smartest people to run the government. And so they would go in to an area like Jerusalem. They handpicked brilliant people. Daniel's one of them, okay. And they go off through Babylon to serve in the government, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. All right. And Nebuchadnezzar comes another time, a third time, the fourth time, he just tore the place to pieces. Now, this is before that happens that Jeremiah gets these instructions. And the question is in Jeremiah 7, verse 16 where it says, God's talking to Jeremiah, Therefore pray not thou for this people, neither lift up cry nor prayer for them, neither make intercession to me, for I will not hear thee. Or he tells Jeremiah, uh, don't pray for these people, because these people are not going to listen to a prayer on their behalf. And so we're going to put it in the context where it comes from and understand that this is just before destruction comes. All right. Now, what was going on? Well, in chapter 7, Jeremiah again, here's what was being said. Verse 4. Trust ye not in lying words, saying, The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. All right. So, in other words, the people in Jerusalem said, Look, we got the temple here in Jerusalem. It's the only temple in the world. You think God's going to destroy the only temple in the world? God's not going to do that. So we got it made. Nobody's ever going to hurt us because we are the temple. We got all the stuff that God's got right here. And so uh, nobody's going to bother us. And so they kept saying, Babylon, my God, we got the temple. We're all set. Nothing's going to hurt us. And now here's God's response to that. And it's down in verse 8. We're in Jeremiah 7, verse 8. Behold, you trust in lying words that cannot profit. You think people are telling you you're safe. 
you don't worry about it. Nobody's going to destroy Jerusalem because the temple's there. Verse 9, will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, burn incense unto Baal, walk after other gods whom you know not, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by a name, and say, we are delivered to do all these abominations. Or in other words, they do whatever they feel like. They commit adulteries, they kill people, uh, they sacrifice to Baal, tells in another spot that just outside of Jerusalem there's a valley, and there's a hill called Hinnon, and they go out there when they want to burn a baby. We have abortion in our land. They had baby burnings, and so you go down and make a fire in a rock and uh, take a newborn baby throw it in the fire as an offering to Baal. They're doing that, and then they go to church and say, hey, we're here. <laughs> we got it made. We're delivered and protected because of what we do. Verse 11, is this house which is called by my name become a den of robbers in your eyes? And behold, even I have seen it, saith the Lord. But go you now to my place which was in Shiloh, where I set my name at the first. See what I did to that for the wickedness of my people. You go to Shiloh, there's nothing there. There's nothing there. There's no temple, there's no priest, there's nothing. You say, well, God used to have the tabernacle in Shiloh. Well, now there's nothing. It's absolutely destroyed, abandoned, there's nothing left. So God's saying to these people, look, he says, you, you do everything against me, and then you claim that you have safety because of the temple. Now, the question says uh, that God has a character. His character is mercy. He shows mercy on people, and that's true. That's very true. And so he says, should we pray and ask God to show mercy? And God says, no more praying for these people. All right. So we've got to look a little farther into this and see if we can figure out exactly what it's all about. And we're going to go to Genesis chapter number 6 and start there. Because God says something here that's very important. And uh, it's going to be backed up over and over and over and over and over again. And this is a part of learning about God. All right. Who is God? Who is God? Who is he? And what are his, and the word that is used is attributes. What are God's attributes? Or what's his character? What's he like? What does he do? Certainly God is a God of mercy. Everybody should understand that. Now, in Genesis 6, verse 3, And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man. I am not going to be patient forever, he said. I am not going to be patient forever. I'm not going to put up with things forever and ever. I'm not going to hold back and show mercy forever. All right? He says, mercy is not going to operate like that. And so I will, there will come a day when I stop showing mercy. 
Well, you look down a couple verses, and uh, verse 5, Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth and grieved him at his heart. The Lord said, I will destroy man who I have created from the face of the earth, both man, beast, creeping things, fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And so God finally said, he's looking down at the world, the entire population of the world, except for one man. There's only one man left. The entire population of the world just thinks evil, whatever they can think of, whatever they feel like doing all the time. And God said, I've had it. I'm not going to put up with it anymore. So he's going to have justice. And the question is, what's the difference between mercy and justice? Where does one start and the other one end. Is that how it works? We're going to think about God. We're going to think about the day of justice. And of course the flood came and God said here it comes. And he flooded the whole earth and killed the entire population except for Noah and his family. So, well that's pretty drastic. You bet it is. Because God said there's a point where I will stop being patient. Right. And so it comes several times in the Bible. If we go just a few pages over more, then you'll find Abraham talking with God. And God said, I'm going down to Sodom and Gomorrah. It's the most vile place in the whole world. I'm going to destroy both cities, burn them to ashes to the ground. And Abraham says, well, let me make a deal with you. If there's 50 righteous people there, will you save it? Yep. I will. And Abraham thinking, well, it's probably not 50. So, uh, how about 40? Yeah, I'll save it for 40. Okay, and then Abraham thinks a little more, 30? And God says, I'll save it for 30. And Abraham, 20. 20. Just 20. I'll save it for 20. And then Abraham says, okay, one more time, 10. If there's 10 righteous people, will you save it? And he says, I will save it for 10. How many do you think there is? One. It's only one. That's a lot. And he's not too righteous, but he's in there. All right? And so God says, I can't save it for one. They are the vilest bunch of people that are on the earth. I'm going to destroy it. And so there comes a time when God says, that's as far as we go. All right. Now, when we get to um, Jeremiah, that clock is ticking. And these people think, Ah, we got the temple. We don't have to worry. God's going to make us safe. We've been safe for hundreds of years here, and it's going to continue. And then Nebuchadnezzar comes and just absolutely burned the whole city to the ground. So there's nothing left of it. And you say, well, what happened? Because there's a time when justice has to go in place of mercy 
when we think about God, there's lots of characteristics that God has. He's omnipresent. That's he's everywhere. He's omnipotent. That he's got all power that there is. He's omniscient. He knows everything. He is faithful. He is loving. And those are the attributes of God. And we can put another one down. God is eternal. And God is infinite. Infinite. Well, there are two things that are true of God. And so when you take the characteristics of God, they always can overlap. And so if we say God has mercy and God is infinite then they overlap and God has infinite mercy. Okay? We say God has justice and God is eternal. And they overlap and God has eternal justice. And so they always overlap and we look at God, he has infinite justice and infinite mercy. So why does he say to Jeremiah, don't pray? Is he acting out of character? No. He's not. Because there's two parts to God's character that people have a hard time reconciling. One is justice. How does we compare to mercy? And how does it not? Where does it stop? Where does one stop and the other one take over? <coughs> the Bible makes a statement, and it's clear from Genesis right to the Revelation. The soul that sinneth it shall die. It's something that God said. He said, if a soul sins, it's got to die. So, a sin must be punished. It has to be punished. It's rebellion against God, no matter how big or small it is, no matter where it happens, whatever it happens. Sin is rebellion against God. And God said, if you sin, it's going to cost you your life. That's my justice. All right? Is that if you sin, it costs you your life. The soul of sin, it shall die. So, we're all in serious trouble. <laughs> right? Does everybody here that hasn't sinned raise your hand? I mean, not you either. We've all sinned, and so we all had that on us, the soul that sinneth that shall die. Sin has to be punished. If God let sin go and didn't punish it, would that be just? It have to, has to be taken care of. It's rebellion against God. And so... Mercy said, we can help. Mercy said, we will send Jesus, and he will die in our place. So, Jesus said, here's what I'm going to do for you. You're in trouble. You're going to die. You're going to be punished for your sins. So what I will do is I'll come and I'll die in your place and you'll punish. I'll take the punishment. That way, the sin still gets punished. Right? But we don't get it. 
he substituted himself. And he got punished. So you can say this. Every sin that was ever committed must end in death. Either the death of Jesus and we accept him and ask him to be our savior. And so he says, I died in your place. Or if you say, I don't need Jesus, I don't want him, then you die. It's got to be. Got to be just. Can't be. So every sin has to be punished, everyone that ever is. And when the end of the world comes, that's where it gets sorted out. He says, depart from me, I never knew you. All right? So is God being unmerciful? He has to be bold. He's got infinite mercy. He's got infinite patience. All right, but there's a time when justice says you can't keep doing this. When everybody in the world except for one person is against God, God says, that's as far as it's got to go. i got to have justice come back. And so he destroys the population. That's what's happening in Jeremiah's time. These people are swearing up and down, Dad, Jeremiah's a liar. They threw him in prison for a long time. They threw him in the bottom of a well. They said, don't be walking around here telling us we're going to get destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. We'll fix you. And they threw him down in the bottom of a well. I mean, they treated the poor guy horribly. And all he said was, you are not going to live through this. God has said he's not going to put up with you anymore. How bad did it get? Well, not just burning babies, and that's bad enough. But they built this great big idol, 20 feet high, right in the temple. It's right in the temple. Ezekiel says, I walked in there, and there's this big old idol to Tamaz. He's sitting right in the temple. And you were bold. He says, you go back into the temple a little bit farther, and they're worshiping pictures on the wall, pictures of snakes and bugs and whatever. They worship the pictures on the wall. So you turn around, and they're over here by the gate worshiping the rising sun, which is Baal. He says, and he said, I'm just not going to have it. You've been told over and over and over and over and over again. And at some point, justice says, we can't do this anymore. I'm not always going to strive with the human race. And so it is the character of God to show mercy. You betcha. It's always the character of God to show mercy. But it is also the character of God that there has to be justice. And when you look around the world and you see some kid in Buffalo shoot all the people up he did in tops. And you say to yourself, how can that ever be right? What can they do to that kid? The soul that sinneth, it shall die. God's going to fix that. Right. Don't ask me how, but the day is coming when he will pay a price. Can he still repent? Yes, he can because God is patient. There comes times in history when no. And God said no. And in Jeremiah's time, that was a time that was coming. And it happened in various places to the people in Egypt. They said, uh, Moses said, God said, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, who's God? He's nobody. I don't need to listen to him. <laughs> Guess he found out, huh? 
when every green thing in his country was dead and his fish was full, his river was full of stinking blood and dead fish and frogs and his own son was dead. Yeah, I guess he found out maybe God is somebody you can't fool with. And so through history, there's come days when God has finally said, that's enough, right? Is that why the end will come? That's exactly what's going to happen. Antichrist is going to rise up in power, and people are going to join him, and God's going to say, okay, that's it. That's enough. I'm not going to allow this to continue. He's going to march on Jerusalem, bring a huge army in there, and it says finally that the blood will come up to the saddle on the horses. That's a lot of blood. And God says, I, I'm not going to allow it to continue. I can't always strive with man. So there will be patience in God. So uh, in the character of God, you have to include everything that's true of him. And the character of God has justice as well as mercy. Uh, if he just let everybody off, it wouldn't be right. It wouldn't be just. And there comes a time when his patience ends and he says, I've got to step in. Right. And so through the history of the world, this happened quite a few times. There's no question in my mind, you go to the Mayan civilization down in, in uh, Central America there, and you say, this is a great civilization. Not so great. Okay. Every time they find a, uh, a body down in one of those diggings that they have, it's a young lady with her head smashed in. Right? Sacrificing. They're sacrificing young women to their God. God says, that's enough. You're not going to have it anymore. What about America? Are they pushing the envelope? Yeah, they're pushing the envelope. They're pushing the envelope. With abortion, they really have pushed the envelope. All right? Is that something that God specifically said in the past? And they're pushing that envelope seriously. And so... Uh, we fight against it. We do what we can. Uh, we're glad that God is merciful. But there comes a time when it stops. So he says to Jeremiah, don't pray for these people because it's over. They lie. They cheat. They murder. And then they come to church and say, oh, we expect you to protect us, God. And God. No. No. And when Nebuchadnezzar got through I mean, there's seldom in the history of the world has there been that kind of destruction. God said, man, I am not going to have you guys do that. And the temple that they thought was going to protect him didn't do a thing. He burned that to the ground, too, until there was nothing but rubble. And when they went back 70 years later to rebuild it, they looked at it and they said, it's a pile of stones and rubble. That was all that was left. And the dead bodies that had been long since eaten by creatures. I mean, they just killed everything. So God says there's a day. Now, there's a question. The real question is, are we ever going to say, I'm not going to pray for that person? The answer is no. We're never going to say that. Why? Because we don't know where people stand. Everybody... When they die, has to answer for their choices, 
When somebody dies, they're going to face the justice of a God who has said, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. I'll cover it for you in mercy if you want me to. If you reject me, then you pay. And that's only justice. It's only right. So God has to have justice, has to have mercy, and they both come. And uh, there's really not a time when you and I can say, well, I think that person uh, might never get another chance. It happens, I've seen it happen, where they don't get another chance, but it's not our call. It's not our call. We can't say, I'm never going to talk to you again because God's sick of you and you're gone. We can't say that. Why? Think of the most obvious example. The thief on the cross. He's got a few minutes to live. And what happens? Gets mercy from Jesus. Calls to Jesus. Jesus says, I give you mercy. You and I be in heaven together. So we can never say this at the last second. And I have gone to the hospital and talked to people. And they were only going to live a short time. And they said, tell me what to do. Okay, here, let's do this. Let's get this done while you're still living. All right. And there, there's always hope for individuals. Now there will come a time in this world when that will end. All right, when the world will come. It is the justice of God. He must have it. So, Jeremiah, don't pray for him. Why? Because they pushed it, and they pushed it, and they pushed it, and it's over now. They're done. I am not going to preserve them. And they're claiming that I have to. I don't have to. There's justice to be done. So that's a real serious talk. And when we think about uh, praying for people, we're always going to pray for mercy. Because we don't have the knowledge to say, well, you're never going to. God said you're done. Don't ever say that. We're always going to pray for people. And let God be the one. What did, you, what did God say? Vengeance is mine. I will repay. Not you. All right, so you pray for people. Now, if God one day says to you, don't pray for that person, then I don't know what you do. Hide. <laughs> You're in a dangerous spot. But uh, God... You must consider all the characteristics of God together and overlapping each other. So mercy overlaps justice. And mercy can't wipe out justice. It has to allow it to exist. And so there comes a time, God says, that's the end. Come to the end no more. All right? Okay? Thank you.